Good morning. Good to worship with you today. If you're a guest visiting with us, let me say a special welcome. My name is Fred. I'm one of the pastors here, and I'll be preaching. We're going to be looking at Colossians chapter 4 together. Uh, We've been going through the book of Colossians, and today we're actually going to wrap up uh, Colossians, finish out with chapter 4. And so please turn there in your Bible. This is Palm Sunday, which is the beginning of Holy Week as Jesus enters into, we remember the day which Jesus enters into Jerusalem and journeys toward the cross. Uh, We do have a series of daily text messages that are going out this week for anybody who's signed up to remind you each day of what Jesus did throughout Holy Week. And so if you would like to receive those, you can do one of two things. You can go to our Facebook page and find the link to sign up there. Or if that's not for you, you can just fill out that connect card and uh, just say that you want to receive the text messages this week. Uh, Put those connect cards in the offering when they come around and uh, we'll make sure to get you signed up so that you can receive those daily texts as a way of reflecting on what Jesus has done for you. Uh, I found, we started that last year, I found it very helpful just to take time each day and remember, okay, this is Monday, what happened on Monday, this is Tuesday, and just to prepare my heart for Easter. So I'd love for you to join me in doing that. Let's go ahead and look at Colossians 4 together. Oh, actually, before I get to that, let me remind you, uh, we have four services next weekend, Friday night in Sarver, uh, at our Sarver campus. That's 7 p.m. Anybody's welcome to that, so feel free to come out Friday night. Saturday here at Lower Borough will be 6 p.m. We'll also have baptisms as part of that service, and then Sunday morning at 9 and 11, our normal service times, baptisms as well. All four of those services are identical except for no baptisms on Friday at Sarver. So you come to any of those services that works for you, uh, but please consider inviting friends and family. We would love uh, to let as many people as possible hear the Easter message and hear uh, what the resurrection means for us today. So looking forward to next weekend. Hope you'll bring some folks to join us for that. All right, let's look at Colossians chapter 4. I'm going to read verses 7 through 18, and then we will pray and jump into the message. Verse 7, Tychicus, our dearly beloved brother, faithful minister, and fellow servant in the Lord, will tell you all the news about me. I've sent him to you for this very purpose, so that you may know how we are and so that he may encourage your hearts. He is coming with Onesimus, a faithful and dearly loved brother who is one of you. They will tell you about everything here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, sends you greetings, as does Mark, Barnabas' cousin, concerning whom you have received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. And so does Jesus, who is called Justice. These alone of the circumcised are my co-workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, sends you greetings. He is always wrestling for you in his prayers so that you can stand mature and fully assured in everything God wills. For I testify about him that he works hard for you, for those in Laodicea and for those in Hierapolis. Luke, the dearly loved physician, and Demas send you greetings. Verse 15, give my greetings to the brothers and sisters in Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her home. After this letter has been read at your gathering, Have it read also in the church of the Laodiceans, and see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. And tell Archippus, pay attention to the ministry you have received in the Lord, so that you can accomplish it. I, Paul, am writing this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Would you pray with me?
Father, as we consider your word today, as we conclude the book of Colossians and hear and see Paul's heart for the churches that he ministered to, and his heart and his, the comfort that he found from the people around him who joined him in that ministry, God, would you open our eyes and our hearts to see what is true, what is good, what is praiseworthy in this passage today. May we find uh, appropriate application for our lives, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I don't know if any of you uh, served in the Marine Corps or, like me, are the child of someone who served in the Marine Corps, Um, but my dad began his law enforcement career as a Marine. He went on to serve over 30 years in the law enforcement community, uh, something he's very proud of, But, but it all started with the Marines when he was a young man. And he went into the Marine Corps almost directly out of high school. He tried college for a little while and then decided to to go do the Marine thing. And um, he talked about it nearly every day of my life growing up. And um, he was always passionate about celebrating the Marine Corps birthday. He had uh, lots of sayings and things that that you were supposed to appreciate because of his Marine background. And uh, if, if he were to ask you if you were ready... You were not simply to say yes, you were to say, I was born ready, I'm the son of a Marine. And uh, that's just the mentality that he had, still has to this day. And uh, I'm very thankful for that influence on his life. But as I was thinking about, I wasn't very thankful as a teenager, by the way, for that influence on his life. Um, But as I was thinking about this passage, Here we have Paul at the end of the book of Colossians, a letter that he has written to the church at Colossae to instruct them, to encourage them, to build them up in the gospel. And we get to the end here, and it's essentially a list of greetings. At first glance, there's there's not a whole lot going on here. There's a bunch of names that sound kind of weird to our modern English ears. And uh, some little bit of comments on this person does this, this person sends you greetings, listen to this person when they come. But as I was thinking about who these people are, and as you step back from this passage and put together some of the pieces of scripture, there's a lot more that we know about these men, and there's even one woman in this passage. There's a lot more that we can learn about them as we put some of those other pieces together, but it made me think of the, the motto of the Marines when I was growing up in the 80s. And their motto was, the Marines were looking for a few good men. Now, what they meant by we're looking for a few good men is, is multifaceted. On one level, they were saying, we only need a few good men. We'll get the job done with just a few. But they were also saying, not everybody could be a Marine. Because in the Marine Corps, the standard was, was set above, presumably, what most people could handle. In fact, one of their commercials out of the late 70s, when my dad was a Marine, said something along these lines, if everyone could be a Marine, it wouldn't be the Marines. And I think that's what attracted a lot of people to the Marines. That and the, uh, the, the drinking water at Camp Lejeune that we keep hearing about. That maybe, I don't know if that, that's, by the way, that's where, that was my dad. Um, he was, he, he drank that water. And so when you think about those ads, that's interesting, huh? A few good men. 
Paul, in his ministry, served God at a standard that certainly not everybody could keep up with. But he had this band of brothers and some sisters around him who I think exemplify exactly what we need in the church today. We need a few good men. By the way, I'm going to, for phonetic purposes, stick with that motto, uh, but I certainly mean to imply that we need good women as well. Um, but I'm not going to stand up here and, and say women, men and women, or people or something. Phonetically, I'm just going to stay. I wanted to use the Marine motto. So I'm going to use the Marine motto and say, we need a few good men. What do those men, what, 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 do they, what characteristics do they exemplify? What do their lives look like? And what kind of men do we need today? Well, if you have the handout in front of you, we're going to go ahead and fill in the first blank. We need... And we are looking for men who obey. We need men who obey the gospel. One thing that Paul says about several of the people mentioned in this passage is that they are faithful. Faithful to what? Faithful to the gospel. Faithful to the command that Jesus gave to take the gospel into all the world. Before Jesus left the earth, he, he commissioned his followers to take this gospel, to go into all the world, to teach them to obey, to baptize them, to make disciples. Then he said, my, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. You will receive power to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. What Jesus told his disciples before he left the earth was go. Go. Go and take the gospel. Go and, and make disciples around the world so that those who need to hear the gospel message will hear it. And those who are being called to follow will be ready to obey. So he needs, Jesus needed people who would respond to that with obedience. And that's exactly what we see in the first century. We see men who are willing to obey. Let's look again at verse seven. Verse seven says, Tychicus, our dearly loved brother, faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord will tell you all the news about me. I have sent him to you for this very purpose so that you may know how we are and so that he may encourage your hearts. He is coming with Onesimus, a faithful and dearly loved brother who is one of you. He will tell you about everything here. Let me, let's, let's look at these, these two men mentioned in this passage. Tychicus was being commissioned by Paul. We believe that this was during Paul's Roman imprisonment. So he's in the city of Rome. He will soon stand trial and eventually be executed for his role in spreading the gospel. But he's currently imprisoned and he's, he's writing these letters and he's going to send this guy named Tychicus to take this letter as well as a letter that he has written to a man named Philemon who we'll talk a little bit about and a letter that he has written to the Ephesian church which we now have in the New Testament as the book 
of Ephesians. And so, but Tychicus is the one who's going to take these letters physically. He's going to travel hundreds of miles in first century Rome. He's going to have to travel by sea. He's going to have to travel across land in order to deliver these letters. Now, we don't know a lot of details about his trip, but I'm, I'm doing the math and I'm thinking that this is a journey that probably took months of his life. And his role not only was just to deliver the letters, but to go and to minister to the saints at, at these churches that Paul was writing to. How many of us, in order to strengthen churches in other parts of the world, would give up months? How many of us would take the loss of income associated with leaving town for that long? How many of us would be willing to separate ourselves from our family, from our friends, from our comforts of home, and to travel in, in difficult ways, nonetheless, and to go and make that kind of sacrifice just to build up these other churches? Do you have a passion, a desire to see churches in other countries, on other continents, grow in the Lord so much that you would give up months of your life? How about weeks? Or how about days? Would you be willing to go even for 10 days? Not many of us would. Thank God some of us would. And we see, you know, we see that happen from time to time as we send out short-term missions teams. But when we look at the example of Tychicus, this guy was all in. This guy was a soldier, as Paul describes him. He was, as, or Paul, rather, Paul describes him as a servant in the Lord. That, that term servant and in some translations is translated as slave. That's because the original uh, language being used implied something uh, more like a slave than a servant. This is kind of the idea of a bond servant, somebody who has, who has given themselves to service to another. This is somebody who does not regard their life as their own, but sees their purpose as serving their master. Tychicus, if we're looking for a few good men, we need some guys like this. We need some men and some women who will give of their lives, who regard their lives as, as having one purpose, to do the work of their master. There's another guy mentioned in this passage. His name is Onesimus. You may be familiar with that name because if you've ever read the book of Philemon, the book of Philemon is a letter written by the Apostle Paul to a guy named Philemon who, who owned a slave named Onesimus. And what's interesting about Onesimus is Onesimus is from Colossae, which again is several hundred miles from Rome where Paul is now at and not the easiest journey to make, but Onesimus is actually a runaway slave. He's a fugitive. He's somebody who has broken the law. And, and by the way, when you hear slave, the first century Roman Empire, slavery is not an exact parallel to the slavery that existed in the early days of the United States. There were similar situations for sure, but slaves 
could be people who willingly sold themselves as a servant to another. You gotta remember, economically, you don't have much of a middle class. You have the very poor and the very rich. And so it wasn't all that uncommon that if you were struggling to get by as the very poor and had an opportunity to, to indenture yourself to somebody as a slave, then you knew you were gonna be taken care of. It was, it was sometimes just a way to gain income and to make sure that your basic needs were met or the basic needs of your family. I'm not saying it was always like this beautiful thing, but just I want you to differentiate slavery then from the slavery that usually comes to mind. We don't know what kind of situation Onesimus was in, but he was a slave and he didn't like being a slave. So he ran and he ran far. (laughs) He thought that he got far enough away. Not to mention he goes to the most populated city in the Roman empire. He goes to Rome and thinks, nobody's ever gonna discover me here. Surely nobody here knows Philemon. And somehow, we don't know the details, somehow he encounters Paul and he hears the gospel and he becomes a believer in Christ and his life is completely changed. And so you have this lawbreaker, this fugitive on the run, changed by the gospel of Jesus who now is friends with, close associates with Paul, Paul de- In fact, the name Onesimus means useful. And Paul in his letter to Philemon emphasizes that Onesimus was useful to him, meaning that he became a partner in the gospel with Paul. And so you've got this runaway slave who fled to Rome, encounters Paul, and now Paul just happens to be sending a letter to Onesimus' city. And we find out in Philemon that uh, Onesimus is being returned to Philemon and Paul is pleading with Philemon to no longer regard him as a slave, but to regard him as a brother in Christ. And so you have hidden in this text this beautiful example of the gospel of how God is able to take lawbreakers, how God is able to take those who are running from their past, who want to hide their identity and make them useful in his kingdom. What a beautiful picture of the kind of people, the kind of few good men we need today, those who have been redeemed from their past. Men who obey. Let me go to verse 15. I'm gonna come back to uh, verses 10 through 14, but I wanna continue with this theme of men who obey. In verse 15, it says, give my greetings to the brothers and sisters in Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her home. Now, we don't know a lot about Nympha other than she used her earthly resources to advance the kingdom of God. She opened her home at a time when the church didn't have buildings. The church could only meet in homes and places like that. In fact, there's archaeological evidence of Christians who actually added on to their homes for the purpose of accommodating the church within their home. If you, if you had the money to do that, uh, perhaps Nympha did, regardless of her situation, we see that she took what God had given her and said, how can I use this for the kingdom? This is what it looks like to obey. Not everybody, not everybody's going to be a Tychicus who is going and doing the work of ministry in far off lands. Some people are gonna stay right where they're at and say, how can I use my life? 
How can I use what God has given me to advance the kingdom? And we see an example of that in Nympha. And then we see in verse 17, he says, tell Archippus, pay attention to the ministry you have received in the Lord so that you can accomplish it. Archippus probably or possibly, I don't uh, I'll just say possibly, is Philemon's son. Because in Paul's letter to Philemon, he greets Philemon, he greets what we believe is Philemon's wife, and then he mentions Archippus. And so the assumption is this is probably Philemon's son, and Paul's instruction to him where you have this ministry that you've received in the Lord, pay attention so that you can accomplish it. He describes him in, in the letter to Philemon as a fellow soldier. Paul, in his little band of brothers, the, the, if you will, the Marines that he had in his life, Archippus was one of these guys he knew he could count on. He knew this was somebody who was going to do the ministry that the Lord had given him to do. Yeah, it's one thing to have a desire to do ministry. It's, a, it's one thing to have a vision of how one day you might be able to do ministry with your life. It's another thing to do it. Amen. To accomplish the ministry that God has given you. This is what we need today. We need men and women who obey what God has called them to do. We need those who are willing to sacrifice, who are willing to pay the price, the high cost of following the Lord in order to obey him. Next, you'll see it on your handout. We need men who stay. Paul's life and his ministry has become increasingly difficult. As I mentioned earlier, he's about to stand trial in Rome. He will, he will at some point in the near future be executed. But even prior to that, he's gone through much hardship. And hardship has a way of sort of sifting out the people are around you who are not willing to pay the price of hardship with you. Fortunately for Paul, he had, some, he had some men and some women in his life who weren't going to allow hardship to sift them out. He speaks of them. He says in verse 10, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner. Now mind you, there's no evidence that Aristarchus was legally imprisoned, but rather willingly imprisoned as a companion of Paul, that he, if he was gonna go with Paul wherever Paul was going. If Paul was gonna be free, Aristarchus was gonna be free. If Paul was gonna be imprisoned, then Aristarchus was going to be imprisoned with him. And, and understanding that much of Paul's imprisonment was similar to today what we have as house arrest, it wasn't, it wasn't super common to be held in a prison cell for a long period of time, but rather to be placed on house arrest. Aristarchus has, has placed himself in that position with Paul. He's staying with him. He says, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, sends you greetings, as does Mark, Barnabas's cousin, concerning whom you have received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. We'll talk about that in a moment. And so does Jesus, who is called Justice. Jesus was a common name at the time, and so he differentiates this Jesus from others, uh, perhaps by his last name or perhaps by a Greek name. I don't, I'm not sure. Sounds like this is probably a Greek name. Um, so this is that particular Jesus. 
And then he says, these alone of the circumcised are my co-workers for the kingdom of God. And they have been a comfort to me. Paul, being a Jew, was part of this initial movement among um, the early church. You remember, Jesus goes initially to the Jewish people and reveals that he's the Messiah and Jews begin to believe in him as the Messiah and that's the beginning of the church. There are essentially no Gentiles or very few Gentiles, non-Jews, involved in the church. But as the church grows, Gentiles start to believe in Jesus as the Messiah as well and Paul becomes the apostle to the Gentiles. Now he's saying here of of the, the Jewish believers those who have accompanied me in this ministry to reaching the Gentiles, he says, there's just these three guys left. Presumably, the other Jews have settled in into different places to do ministry or some of them have perhaps returned to Jerusalem to be a part of the majority Jewish church there. But there are a handful of men who stuck with Paul who were willing to stay with Paul on this mission to reach the Gentiles. Aristarchus, Mark, and Jesus Justice. Aristarchus, we know from the book of Acts, was nearly killed doing ministry with Paul during the riot in Ephesus. There was one of the places that they went and preached the gospel. Um, Long story short, there was a riot over the gospel, basically turning people away from false idols And the people who made those false idols and sold them said, if we let this continue, we're gonna be out of business. And so they started a riot and they grabbed Aristarchus and they drug him into an angry mob intending to kill him. Yeah, Aristarchus made it out. And you'd think after that experience, some men might be like, you know what? I don't know if hanging out with Paul is such a great idea. (laughs) but he stayed. He stayed with Paul. He was part of the shipwreck that we heard, that we read about at the end of the book of Acts as Paul was being taken to Rome to stand trial. He, he, there was a storm that lasted, according to Acts, for 14 days, and it tore apart the ship. They were left to drift on the open sea overnight, and nearly every, everyone involved nearly died Aristarchus was with Paul. He survived that with him. And here he is, still by Paul's side. This is a man that's not going anywhere. If you get yourself some brothers like that who would do ministry alongside of you, that's a good place to be in life. Paul mentions Mark. Mark is the Mark who wrote the Gospel of Mark, one of the four Gospels that we have. He was like Paul, a missionary in the first century. What's interesting about Mark being mentioned here is at one point, Mark didn't stay. At one point, Mark, we read in the book of Acts as they were going about their missionary work and traveling from city to city preaching the gospel. We don't know what caused Mark to go back, but, but Mark left Paul and went back to Jerusalem And it wasn't a good situation, we know, because later on, when Paul was about to go on another missionary journey, and it was suggested that Mark come with him, Paul said, no, I don't don't want that guy with me. He's not dependable. He abandoned us last time, I'm not taking him, and he didn't take him. 
but apparently they reconciled. This is a great example of second chances. This is a great example of somebody who didn't initially stay, somebody who didn't initially get it right, but who, somebody who shrunk back, who now is, is committed and faithful to the gospel. And so Paul instructs them, if he comes to you, welcome him. Because the, the church would have known about this dispute and they needed to know that Paul and Mark have reconciled. And so if he comes to you, welcome him. Jesus, justice, is a man we know nothing about other than he was a faithful minister of the gospel alongside of Paul. The majority of people who have served the Lord throughout human history are not written down in the chronicles of the Bible as these amazing examples of people who did all these things. The majority of people that are going to fill the throne room of heaven are people you've never heard of. People who faithfully served God without any recognition. People who gave their lives for the gospel, not intending to be famous, but intending to be faithful. And Jesus' justice is an example of that. He's not somebody that, that etched his name in the history books because of his great exploits. He's just a man who is faithful to the gospel. Paul says in verse 14, he mentions Luke, the dearly loved physician, and Demas sends you greetings. Two more men here. As we think about men who stay, we have two very distinct examples here. One, we have Luke, the dearly loved physician. Luke was a Gentile. He's, he is assumed to be the only Gentile who wrote a book of the New Testament. He actually wrote a two-volume book. He wrote the Gospel of Luke and the Book of Acts, which is an account of the Acts of the Apostles in the early church. And he traveled with Paul. Um, he stayed with Paul. Paul tells us in 2 Timothy 4.11 when he's nearing the end of his imprisonment in Rome before he is executed, he says of Luke in 2 Timothy 4, only Luke is with me. You talk about men who stay there to the very end, there to keep company and to be useful and to be a soldier alongside of his brother Paul, that's Luke. We need men who stay. Next, we need men who, and here you're gonna think I went Baptist on you because these all rhyme. We need men who pray. Not only do we need men who obey and men who stay, we need men who pray. And when I talk about men who pray, I'm talking about men who pray like Epaphras. Epaphras is the guy who Paul credits to being the one who planted the church in Colossae, where Paul is writing this letter. And he says this in verse 12, Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, sends you greetings. He is always wrestling for you in his prayers. He, he, Paul does not say Epaphras mentions you occasionally in his bedtime prayers. <laughs> He doesn't, he doesn't say, hey, when we're, you know, these aren't, these aren't casual prayers. Like before we eat lunch today, let's say a prayer thanking God for this food. And oh yeah, God, and by the way, don't forget the believers in Colossae, amen. Paul says that Epaphras is always wrestling for you in his prayers. 
I love that image of wrestling. I'm, I'm not much of a wrestler. I actually have a tremendous amount of experience wrestling, but not a lot of skill. What I mean by that is I have a brother who's two years older than me, and we wrestled daily, <laughs> every day, for years. We wrestled and we fought and you would have thought, you know, with all of that practice, I would have gotten pretty good at it. But the thing about wrestling is, wrestling is about technique. Wrestling is about much more than brute strength. And even with all of that experience, I remember vividly the first time I encountered a train wrestler and somebody who had experience in technique. And I thought, you know, I've got lots of experience wrestling. What's the big deal? Until I was tied up like a pretzel and couldn't move and didn't know what to do. <laughs> wrestling is the act of fighting for survival. Wrestling is the act of giving everything that you have. Epaphras is wrestling for these Colossian believers in his prayers. He is not casually asking God to do something beneficial for them, but he is standing in the gap for them. He is interceding on their behalf. He is reminding God of his promises. He is engaging in spiritual warfare. We need some men and women who wrestle for others in prayer. We need to be people who are committed to storming the throne room of heaven on behalf of other people. I heard a preacher say, he was talking about some of his spiritual ancestors and he says, he says the old timers, they used to say things like, I, I walked the floor for you last night. And what they meant was they, the Lord woke them and they couldn't do anything but walk back and forth as they prayed and as they interceded on someone else's behalf. God, don't let them fall into that sin. God, don't let that cancer overcome them. God, open their eyes to see the beauty of the gospel. We need men and women who walk the floor for others. We need some, some people like Epaphras. He's always wrestling for you in his prayers, Paul said, so that you can stand mature and fully assured in everything God wills. This is amazing because we, we pray for, 90% of our prayers are for superficial things. Epaphras was praying for spiritual maturity. He was praying that they would win the spiritual battles in their lives, that they would become like Christ and be his witnesses. Verse 13, Paul says, for I testify about him that he works hard for you, for those in Laodicea and for those in Hierapolis. We need a few good men who pray. Lastly, we need men who won't stray. There's a sad story in this text. In verse 14, Paul says, he mentions Luke, the dearly loved physician, and Demas send you greetings. At this point, Demas appeared to still be a faithful servant of the Lord, but we read this 
sad conclusion to the story in 2 Timothy 4, verses 9 through 10. This is when Paul, Paul says that only Luke uh, is still with him. So he says to Timothy in verse 9, make every effort to come to me soon because Demas has deserted me since he loved this present world and has gone to Thessalonica. Paul, at the end of his life, preparing to be executed for the gospel with only Luke at his side, deserted by his longtime friend Demas because of his love for the world. I wish that was the only time this has happened in the history of the church. But unfortunately, church history is full of men and women who once stood firm for the gospel, who eventually deserted the church, who deserted their brothers and sisters in Christ out of a love for the world. Demas abandoned Paul in spite of John's warning that we read in 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 to 17, which says, do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride in one's possessions is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world with its lust is passing away. But the one who does the will of God remains forever. Let me tell you something about Demas's love for the world. Whatever joy, whatever pleasure, whatever satisfaction he gained at the time that he abandoned Paul because of his love for the world has passed away. That's what John tells us. The world with its lust is passing away. There's no more pleasure in sin for Demas. But as John says, the one who does the will of God remains forever. Those who stayed faithful to the end have eternal joy. I was gonna read the story of Jesus in John 6. Let me take a minute, I'll do this quickly. In Jesus in John 6, the crowds had begun to follow Jesus and mainly because of what he could do for them. And Jesus sensing this and knowing that their heart wasn't in the right place he challenged them and he said something very difficult. He said to those, and there's thousands of people following him at this time. He said to them, he said, you know, anyone who, who won't eat of my flesh and drink my blood cannot come after me and be my disciple. Now we know that Jesus is speaking metaphorically. In fact, we're going to do that very thing symbolically today as we take communion. But Jesus says this in a hard way, intended to sift them out, intending to, to, to dissuade them from following him if they are following him only for the earthly benefits. And it says in, in John chapter six, verse 66, after this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the 12, do you wanna go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have a choice between comfort and the pleasure of sin and difficulty and eternal life. 
If you're going to follow after Jesus, it's not going to be an easy road. It's not going to be a painless path. However, it ends in eternal life. It, it ends in heaven and glory forever. But it may cost you something here and now, and it, and it may mean giving up some earthly pleasure. You have to make the choice. Luke made his choice, and Demas made his choice. What I'm saying is we are at a point in the history of the church, particularly here in the United States, when we need a few good men and a few good women. We need those who will go above and beyond, those who are willing to obey the gospel, those who are going to stay even when it's hard, those who will engage in the, the act of wrestling in prayer, and we need some men and some women that we can count on to not stray. Which choice will you make? Which path will you follow? Will you be a Luke? Or will you be a Demas? Would you pray with me? Father, as we consider the sober reality that we face before you today, as we consider the difficulty of this path, the cost of following you, God, would you raise up men and women in this room, men and women who are perhaps listening online, would you raise up, as, as Paul described them in his letter, some fellow soldiers, some believers, some followers who aren't afraid to pay the price, who will stay when it gets hard, who will devote themselves to meaningful prayer, who will obey the great commission to go and make disciples. Jesus, would you so move in our hearts that we would be those people, that we would be ones that you can count on. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. Fill us with the grace that we need to be faithful fellow soldiers in the gospel. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're gonna take communion today and I think this is a great opportunity to do exactly what we're instructed to do in taking communion, which is examine our hearts. Explore our hearts and say, God, is there... Is there any sin that I need to repent of? Is there an attitude or is there a lack of commitment that you want me to bring to the altar today in, in repentance? And so what we wanna do is we wanna take these next few minutes through this first song and just allow you to examine your heart, to do business with the Lord, to, to see how he is moving in you and respond to that. And once you're ready, once you've 
you've, you've cleared your conscience and you're, you're prepared to take the step of communion, I invite you to come forward. And not a, I'm not asking everybody to do this. If you're not a believer in Christ today, um, then, then I would encourage you not to do this. Or if your heart is not surrendered to Jesus today as a believer, then I would encourage you not to do this. But once you're ready, and if you're ready, come forward, take the communion elements back to your seat, hold on to them, and we'll, I'll come back up and I'll walk us through taking communion together. And gentlemen, would you hold off on the offering? Let's do that during the last song to give everybody an opportunity to come and receive communion today. So let's stand in worship. And when you're ready, uh, grab the communion elements. I was rich I remember who I was I was lost I was blind I was running out of time My sin separated The breach was far too wide From the far side of the chasm you held me in your sight And you made a way Across the great divide Left behind heaven's throne To build it here inside And there at the cross You paid the debt I owe Broke my chains Freed my soul for the first time I had hope. Thank you, Jesus, for the blood applied. Thank you, Jesus, it has washed me white. Thank you, Jesus, you have saved my life. Run me from the darkness into glory.
brought me from the darkness into glorious light. Glory to His, sing glory to His name. is the week that we remember what Jesus did when he had that last supper with his disciples before going to the cross. Having contemplated what was ahead, he stood up, he took bread, he gave thanks, he broke it, and he said, this is my body, broken for you. If you need the forgiveness of your sins today, let me be the one to get to remind you Jesus' body was broken for you. Let's remember his body by taking the bread together. Jesus, thank you that you willingly took sin upon your own body when it's ours that deserve it. You committed no sin, yet you died on our behalf. We praise you. Amen. The Bible says in the same way he took the cup, he said, this is the new covenant. The new covenant established by his blood, by his death on the cross. He said, as often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. Let's remember the Lord together by taking the cup. Jesus, as we begin Holy Week, and we remember the cost of our sin, may we be overwhelmed by your grace, overwhelmed by your kindness and your mercy and your love. And may we translate that into obedience. May we translate that into giving our lives for the gospel as so many have done before us. Use us as your vessels, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.